This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Fay Nation can't slow down. It's gonna go. First offense. All the mix. Okay, party people in the house. You're about to witness something you've never witnessed before. Yeah. Alright, it is Monday here on Sports Bar Radio, and that means we get uh, caught up in everything in the world of Canuck. I am here with Rob Simpson of Vancouver Hockey Now, who's a little distraught, Rob. I can see it in your face this morning. You're a little distraught that the Vancouver Canucks don't mix it up enough. Why are you so in the uh, where are the crooked numbers category today? <laughs> First of all, that bartender, we might not hit, we might need to hit him up. <laughs> Make it a double. Get this thing started. Uh yeah, the crooked numbers. Yeah, I know fighting's down. It's not part of the game anymore. Blah, blah, blah. But for being the most frustrated team in the history of mankind, you know, oh, we're so frustrated. How frustrated are you guys? Oh, we're really frustrated. Next game. How frustrated are you guys? Really, really frustrated. Really? I'm trying to think of the last time I saw someone get pissed off. So JT Miller occasionally gets pissed off, sometimes at the officials, sometimes at himself. I think there's been one fight. Now, again, I get it. This is the new quote-unquote NHL. It's the country club. So fighting is discouraged. But, man, group that in with toughness. You know, they, they do hit. There's physicality. Hamannick brings some of that. Myers brings some of that. But, man, oh, man, lay the lumber. Correct me if I'm wrong here. And we'll get to a Bo Horvat situation from last night's game in a second. But correct me if I'm wrong here. Sometimes change is good, even just for the sake of change. Like you don't want to see any of your core pieces leave, but sometimes it's just not working. But would you say that there's enough body of work there in the world of sport that sometimes, no matter how good it looks on paper, it just doesn't translate on ice? Yeah, I think part of that, again, it ties into the, toughness, the caring, the frustration, the expressing desperation and determination element to it, the country club factor. Who's the leader? Who are the leaders on this team? So Bo Horvat is a 25, 26-year-old captain. So that's your that's your stalwart guy. You know, Oliver Ekman Larson comes up from Arizona. He was a captain there, but we are talking about the Coyotes. And he's a pretty gregarious guy. Like, I've run into him a couple of times. He's kind of a fun, goofy, you know, I, I don't see him as, as your classic captain. I just don't, I, I don't get it. Who's running the country club is more the case here is who's the captain of the hockey team. So one of the knocks on JT Miller prior to his time in Vancouver was that he was moody, that when things were good, he was the greatest guy to be around. But when, you know, shit hit the fan, he was a tough guy to be around, abrasive, polarizing. And that has followed him through all of his stops. If he's your leader, I don't, and I'm not saying that he's changed his flow completely. Maybe he's matured a little bit, but Quinn Hughes is quiet. Elias Pettersson's quiet. Bo Horvat's procedural. Rock Besser's quiet. And JT Miller is the boisterous one. But yeah, when yeah. things are good and things haven't been good for the Canucks. So what does that say for what the locker room could be? A bunch of quiet guys and a, and a guy that's sometimes hot and is sometimes cold. Yeah. And maybe on his own and the rest of the guys are kind of like, oh, it's just JT being JT. And then last night after the, uh, or should I say, we'll just say uh, Sunday night after the Chicago loss, he says, hey, I'm not playing my best. I, I take responsibility. I haven't been good enough for my line mates or for this team. I'm okay at the one end, but I need to be better offensively. I mean, that's great. But what is that? 
ultimately mean exactly? Is that what's the motivation there? Um, you know, it's funny bring that up because I actually meant to, uh, I was going to try to reach out to Larry Brooks this morning, Brooksy, who's covered the New York Rangers for ages and ask him about Miller. I remember his time there. He had a couple 20 goal seasons and, you know, he's kind of establishing himself. Um, I didn't like him when he was with the Rangers. I remember watching Tampa. He filled a role for a couple of years and now in Vancouver, he's kind of an older version of himself, but no, I don't. Maybe he is a leader from the standpoint of passion and anger. Cause he, you know, he seems to be one of the guys that demonstrates the willingness to get pissed off and also just kind of talk things over on the ice with guys and kind of give instruction and all that. But that's a, kind of a one trick pony for this team. Who, who else is it? And you brought up Horvat. So I asked him the last question of the media availability after the loss to Chicago, after we went through the same rigmarole about being frustrated, I said, um, so first TV timeout, second period, you skate from your bench over to Marc-Andre Fleury and you have a little quick chat on a flyby. And then you go back 15 seconds later. So what, what's going on there? 10 years ago, really, not even, maybe. You go over during any time and talk to a, a, a opposing netminder. Someone's coming over to put a stop to it or, or breeze in between your, you might have a line brawl. So I know it's the kinder, simpler, kinder, gentler NHL, but holy crap. And why? Why does he need to go, hey, schmoozy schmooze? Hey, where'd that one hit you in the chest? That one hit in the shoulder? How close was I to score? Like, whatever it is. Because I asked him, his answer was, oh, I just asked him about my shot. Well, what do you need to ask the opposing goaltender about your shot for? How about you get up your ass back to the bench, Captain, and let's talk, you know, get your guys ready for the next shift or maybe share something with them or get somebody fired up as opposed to, hey, uh, Flower, where'd that one hit you? <laughs> Give me a break. So, in other words, you want to revert back to the Tiger Williams days for a couple of no, weeks. No, I know that's impossible. I'm not. I'm not living in a fantasy. But I'm if not, somebody is, offered that to you, you wouldn't oppose it. If somebody offered me that as like genie popped out of the thing and said yeah. you have a chance to go back to Bob Probert, I'd go. Yeah, sure. I'll take a season <laughs> of that. <laughs> if you're Jim Benning, or if you're Francesco, or whoever it is that's got the opportunity to roll the dice here, we've heard that Jim's on the phone and that he's working the phone, seeing if there's anything out there that can rattle this team. Do you do that because the players got value, or do you do that because you simply need to change the dynamic before you have to pull the shoot on the coach or the general manager? Well, I'm, that's another thing to keep an eye out for Vancouver Hockey now, by the way, because I'm going to be ma making those GM calls here shortly, which I haven't gotten around to yet. It was too busy watching Friday and Sunday and all the nonsense in between, but we'll, we'll get a feel for it, hopefully. And... Um, uh, and as it relates to, yeah, I, I'd rather the impetus be on the players because ultimately it's about them from what I'm seeing attitudinally and behaviorally and some of the bizarre play on the ice, it just makes no sense to me in terms of weird turnovers and just lack of effort and lackadaisical nonsense. I'd rather see it shaken up by moving a Besser, something along those lines, right? I'd say Petey's untouchable just because he's starting to show signs and, you know, you've just invested all this money and he's a guy that, you know, when he's on top of it, he started to leverage his body. He's starting to get his body position back, like winning puck battles, using his body the right way instead of being a baby giraffe like he was doing when he was holding the puck too long. Maybe him, Demko, obviously, 
the decor is just absolute. Quinn Hughes is untouchable. I'd hold on to OEL. Anybody else back there is free game and pretty much the entire forward unit. You hold on to Hoaglander because of the upside, Pod Colson because of the upside. Uh, do what you got to do. But ultimately, it's going to be the coach taking the fall for this nonsense. The question is when, because yeah. you're at the quarter pole of the season as of their next game against Pittsburgh. They've allowed outside of Seattle. I don't really count Seattle in the equations of the Pacific because they're an expansion team. But outside of Seattle, they've allowed more goals than any other team. And they're not scoring nearly at a pace that they need to. 46 goals this season have amounted to six regulation wins in 19 games. The axe, it's like a guillotine. The hand's on the rope. You know the blade's coming down. When you know that guillotine's all set up and ready to rock, what's it like in the locker room? Well, it depends if they don't care or they want to get rid of them. And to to me, when it's that case, then it's just a matter of, you know, waiting how much longer do we have to play like shite until it actually happens i mean brock besser has doesn't have a point in six games he has um a grand total of seven shots over his last four games i think i said it in the third game of the season to somebody sitting in the press box i go do these guys like their coach because i'm watching some of the play and it's unexplainable it's just the mysterious weirdness. I go, maybe they didn't like the 40 skate, which people misidentify as the quote unquote bag skate before the season. And who knows? But maybe they're tired of them. And as early as then, I was like, this is odd behavior for me as a person that's watched hockey for 40 years. I just don't understand what's going on, or maybe 50. I don't understand what's going on here. They did play again very well five on five. They dominated Chicago, but you got a team. Keep this in mind, Rob. Just like Winnipeg, Chicago came in after playing Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers in Edmonton the night before. Mm-hmm. Riley Stillman, Sunday night, defenseman, played two and a half minutes before he got hurt. The Chicago Blackhawks play that entire hockey game with five D-men and still came away with a one nothing victory. Mark andre Fleury did benefit from five goalposts or, or crossbars, but I think it's, uh, I think you're right. It's just a matter of, it's a matter of ticky-tocky goes the clocky unless they suddenly reel off four or five wins on this road trip. It reminds me, sometimes you're in a relationship and it just, you look at each other one day and you're like, you know what? This just, we're friends (laughs) and we need to go find something else that gets us excited or gets us generating uh, some vibrancy. And it just feels flat. That's all it does to me. Okay. One more thought on that. It's not Jeremy Colleton obvious. It's not Mike Johnston, 2016 Pittsburgh Penguins, obvious. Where Sidney Crosby said, you know what? I'm just going to not play hockey until we get rid of this guy. Oh, here's mm-hmm. Mike Sullivan. Okay, let's go ahead and win a cup. It's not that overwhelming a feeling. So maybe it's just player dysfunction. I looked at the standings the other day, and it's so stupid for me. Like a quarter pole of the season saying, boy, I'll tell you what. This season's starting to slip away. 13 back at Calgary. 12 back of Edmonton. Nine back of Anaheim, eight back of Vegas, and everybody sits back and says, oh, well, that's okay. One of those teams has got to falter, but the Canucks are in seventh. They're going to have to play, I think my math says about 660 hockey the rest of the way. Are we kidding ourselves to sit back and say, well, one of those teams up there is going to falter because in addition to them having to falter, we got to pick up the slack. Two things got to happen here, not just the one. The other one we didn't glaringly obvious, and it's actually amazing that this happened more recently than 2016, because you asked me for an example a week or two ago, and I gave you the Pittsburgh example. Mm-hmm. Since then, it's happened again, which is amazing. When that was St. Louis in 1819, guess what? 
Mike Yo gets fired as a coach after 19 games, Craig Berube comes in. I was in that rink, in that rink, in St. Louis in November of 2018, watching the team. The building was a morgue, and I was, I was doing 31 games in 31 cities and 31 nights, and I was in St. Louis, and I go, holy shit, this is the worst building I've been in, like in terms of, I mean, I like the people. Everybody was sweetheart, nice, lovely, charming, delightful. But, oh, my God, it was a dead place. And I was like, well, this one's done. And it went in the cup. So you never know, you never know. And it's this change that could happen that might be the determining factor. You usually find out, look, pretty quick. Look what happened when Derek King takes over for Calton. They win four in a row, five of the next six in Chicago. Right? We don't know until it happens. But I'm still putting it on the players. I didn't didn't answer your question. (laughs) I would agree. And I would agree because I think if you fire Travis Green, it lets the players off the hook. But if you're going to make the change, I would say this is the window in which you make said change so that you can keep your fans engaged and hopeful that the second half of the season will bear more fruit. Because if you get it too long, 45, 50 games in the season, there's going to be like, screw this, man. I'm going to wait till next year to get my hopes up and get involved. But you you let them wait, but you let them off the hook, but you don't. You let them off the hook, but then you also go, okay, your turn now. It's not the coach anymore because you got a new coach. So if you were upset with the coach, that's the whole idea behind the coaching change. It's like, all right, boys. The coaching change could be that or the coaching change just doesn't have the right system in place. And it's time to move him out as well. I mean, so here's the problem. And God, I can't believe we spent this much time talking about it, but it's just such a fascinating case study in yep. mediocrity right now. And it's it's actually really insane to watch. So let's work right at the top. Jim mm-hmm. Benning, Francesco Aquilini, what an interesting relationship. Because I remember the early days when it was Mike Gillis. Mike Gillis would tell Francesco to beat it. Like, hey, man, you're, you're not a part of this meeting. We're trying to run your hockey organization for you. And then all of a sudden, he finds his way out. John Tortorella came in, said this organization was stale. He was out. But anybody that plays nice in the sandbox with Francesco gets this unbelievable amount of rope before they hang themselves with it. I got to wonder if this is a case of Francesco just wants to surround himself with guys that will let him play with the toys. I'm not qualified to answer that question at this juncture, but I will direct people to your commentary last week, the day after I was on. So it would be Tuesday. I've had other people comment on it. It was a pretty impressive uh, foray into the ownership analysis by you. So I think you answered that question. <laughs> I think you answered that question on the 16th of November with your, uh, with your commentary. I don't know the gentleman well enough to answer that question. I'm, I'm familiar with owners in other markets. I've, I've met a number of them, um, chatted with them, understand their approach to the game. Uh, I only know what I've heard as it relates to uh, this situation. And yeah, it does definitely based on the playoff lack or playoff appearances thus far does appear that Jim Benning has, has had a long time to get this thing going. Do you know Jim Benning at all? Yeah, a little bit just from, he was an assistant GM in in, uh, Boston. In fact, I just ran into Scott Bradley last night at the game. um, Who was one of their pro scouts who was assistant GM with Don Sweeney. He was now running Boston back then. Hadn't seen him in ages. We're chatting about some kind of the old, the past in that series in 2011. Just as, you know, comes from a hockey family. His his brothers both played. His brother played in the NHL. He played in the NHL. His nephew, Matt, plays. I had a long half-hour discussion with him. Plays for the Nashville Predators. Haven't get, gotten around to writing that story yet. You know, just a simple guy who's uh, a hockey guy through and through. And 
trying to figure it out. Whether or not he's qualified to do so, I don't know if I can say remains to be seen because so far it hasn't worked out in wins and losses and playoffs. But um, we're gonna we're gonna find out how much longer that rope lasts, I guess. All right, final one for you, Rob, and I do appreciate your time today because I know you're a busy guy. This is a question that people ask me because you talk about the quote tirade from last week. People are like, hey, Faye, that's cool that you can go behind the microphone and do this. But do you ever go to the arena and face the guys that you're saying it about? And I said, you know what? If I got the opportunity, I'd more than happily go. Yeah. And you're looking these guys in the eyes. Yeah. Is it harder to write stuff about them that's negative because you see behind the curtain? Or is it one of those cases where you're like, no, nope, it's my job. I got to rip this guy because it's time for some ripping. Is it tougher when you got to face the music? No. I mean, it might have been 20 years ago when I was a kid, but no, I, I don't, I don't give a hooey. Like, I mean, if it's legitimate, I probably because it, it probably 20, 25 years ago, it was probably not because I was nervous about anything or I was just a kid. It was probably because maybe I didn't know if I had the creds or the background to back it up. Where now my observations are, are based in a lot of different things. So I'm comfortable in whatever. And if the guy wants to ask me, I'll say, well, you know what? Play better then. Um, the question I have for you, is it offensive or not to refer to Connor Garland as a circus monkey? Oof. Okay. So Elf was on the bubble, but I get it. And it's kind of funny. Yeah. Circus monkey. And uh, and what is the stanchion called Tyler Myers? Something like the baby draft, or I can't remember what it is. Yeah. But I don't mean derogatory by Connor Garland. It's a compliment. And I'll tell you what, there's this guy, this kid that played Cal Ingraham, who was with on uh, Paul Correa's line at the University of Maine. They won the 1993 national championship. Paul Cree obviously went on to a Hall of Fame career. When Paul Cree finished his Hall of Fame career and was asked, who had the best hands you ever played with? He did not mention a National Hockey League player. He mentioned Cal Ingraham, who was his line mate in, at university. And the reason why he mentioned it is because he literally had the best hands he ever played with. Now, Cal Ingraham was five foot five and slower than you and I. But because of his hands and his anticipation, like almost like a miniature version of Gretzky in a slow package, he had three 50 goal seasons in the minor leagues. It was a freak show. And I used to refer to him as the circus monkey because he would duck under checks along the boards and just kind of roll through things and flop around and make things happen. So Connor Garland to me is the high speed version of that. So if you watched him last night against Chicago, he's dipping, he's doing, he's falling, he's up, he's spinning, he's doing somersaults, he's 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 doing spinoramas. So it's a complimentary term. I'm just not sure if people find it complimentary, All but right. it, it's what it is. Circus monkeys don't exist anymore, by the way, because circuses have been banned in North America. Okay, so this guy is a circus monkey. Listen. I've, I've my crack research team in the background team, not a research team on crack. A crack research team here has said that this is the definition of circus monkey. Okay. Circus monkey is trained to perform certain behaviors to entertain. So when the term is used as a nickname, suggesting that the person is merely performing at the request of his trainer for the purpose of entertaining those he encounters, it can be construed as a negative term. Okay. So in this case, it'd be a self-trained circus monkey because he's not being trained by someone else to put on entertainment. He's doing it himself. Like he's taught him. He's, he's cut his stick four inches shorter than it should be so he can do these magic tricks. All right, whatever. But he's still physically like it's it's still roly-poly time. We could just make his nickname Monk. We could just start calling him Monk short for circus monkey. What, if I get see, it? Here's an example. Rudy Giuliani is Donald Trump's circus monkey. Okay, that's fine. That's fair. But that's unfair. That's the, that's the thought process, just so you that, know. 
All right. All right. So I got to modify it somehow. I come up with a different kind of monkey. Isn't spell. there a, there's a movie called Most Valuable Primate, MVP, and it's about a monkey that plays hockey. You should check it out. What? You talked to a guy that had 14 seasons on a minor league baseball bus. I have seen every movie. It's from 2000. It's called Most Valuable Primate. And uh, the, okay. the monkey's name was Jack, if memory. He's a chimp that plays hockey. I don't know. I don't think there's a good way out of this. The happy chimp. Next time they come they come around, next time I get a... See, here's, here's another weird thing. How long are we right now, by the way? Oh, we're good. Yeah, I find it ironic. It was the same thing. It's weird. Uh, same thing in Toronto, because once you're inside the fortress, you know, it's very top secret. So I can talk to 31 general managers and head coaches when they walk into the building off the cuff. Hey, Simmer, how you doing? Hey, what's going on? Jared Bednar. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? Gerard Lund. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? Can't do that with my own coach. Now, there's a reason why. That's because then the other reporters go, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've been asking for him for a week, 10 days. That's happened already. So now I've had to shut that down and go through proper procedures and channels. But you can't have a hockey conversation at a podium. It's just not, it's not it. So I don't say a whole lot during the podiums because it's like, oh, God, really? So to get the goods, you got to kind of do the onesie onesies. And that's not possible because of COVID and because I'm now inside the fortress. I can get it from 31 other guys. I just can't get it from my own. Same in Toronto. You know, it's not going to ha- it wasn't happening with Mike Babcock. It might happen. It happened every time another team came in. I never even went to the freaking Leafs dressing room when I was there. I spent all my time talking to Ovechkin or whoever else was in town. So isn't that that's isn't it weird. It's kind of a strange thing. You're full time in a market and you're in your access of your access. I mean, I can I can ask. But anyway, there's a long way around to just to say the next time I get the opportunity to talk to the circus monkey. I'm going to uh, rec- I'm going to say, hey, dude, what do you think of this? Yeah. By the way, that chimpanzee did three MVP movies. He did the hockey one, the skateboarding one, and the snowboarding one, and then went on to do another movie. Instead of Primate, it's called Spymate. So, oh my God, hey, I I had this other conversation because I I rode the bus in in baseball and hockey for a number of years, and um, had this conversation with a couple of Winnipeg Jets broadcasters the other night after the game. Talk about autonomy. I guess because you're younger, not married yet. You know, you can play home team, road team when it comes to going out and stuff after games and everything. But to the man, it was all like, oh, yeah, now it's like more corporate. It's, you, you don't have the, the charters. Awesome. Obviously, travel's awesome. First class hotels, everything. But in terms of just debauchery and screwing around and the insane memories. Yeah, it's not as it's not what it was when you were riding those crazy buses or flying. Man, this is a true story. I will never forget this. We were on our way to Boise which is a 12-hour boot from Vancouver to Boise, Idaho. Yep. The almost geographical halfway point, the bus breaks down. So instead of them sending somebody from close by, Vancouver's company had to send a second bus down. So now six on the bus, six on the side of the road, finally do another six to get into Boise. 18 hours, they drive right to the stadium. And the guy that's pitching, Julio Ramos, is 0-5 on the season, and he's got the ball. 18 hours. We won that game, I think it was like 16 to three. He didn't oh. lose a game the rest of the season and finished the season six and five pitcher of the year in the Northwest League. Jeez. Sorry. The, the bus is the best place of the entire journey. Like yeah. it's better hey, than the game sometimes. I've been on that trip in reverse. I was the Boise Hawks announcer for uh, five seasons. And Memorial Stadium, the hottest seat on earth? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was there for five years. And, um, but it was, at the tail end is when the um, 
the Canadians came into that league. They had been previously somewhere else. They came into the Northwest League right at the end, maybe my last season or yeah, I think it was my last season actually. But that's how I, that's how I that's first a great arrived. city, by the way. Boise's a great town. Great, great city. I was shocked. A, a, amazing place. You could snowboard and play golf on the same day, which is true to a lot of places out West, but um, just a neat, really neat place. But that, where I live right now in Kitsilano, I visited here. No, it was 99, I believe. 99 after, was the last year of the AAA Canadians. Okay, so it must have been 2000 after a Canadians game came here. I was like, boy, this is super cool. Oh, but God, I had been God. to Vancouver because of hockey previous to that. But it was like, and it's bizarro that I'm here now in terms of like my living situation. Dude, the Boise Hogs. That's amazing. I uh, Boise Hogs. Memories of Boise. Like you some who, of the greatest memories have come from Boise, Idaho. Go figure. Do you know who John Shomby is? Uh, yeah, of course. He was my broadcast partner in Boise in 1996. Get he and I were out of here. Really? Yeah. 96. So, Boise oh, 25 so years ago. So you've been to Pengelly's Saloon and you've been to the Bistro. <laughs> you've been to the Bistro. <laughs> oh yeah, I've been to all of those places. Uh-huh. We used to stay. We used to. This is going to make for great uh, podcasting here. We used to stay at the Awahi Inn, which was like a five-minute stumble from the downtown core. Yep. And then they moved us out by the airport, which was horrendously bad because now we're at some bootleg hotel miles away from downtown. But in the old days, we were right in the core and it was the greatest, man. I had some of my best memories in Boise, Idaho. Oh, absolutely. Back when it was with the Oakland A's and we won two championships. One of them was in Boise. Nice. Uh, The um, yeah, it would have been a $15 cab ride out to that to the airport hotel, but. Yeah, something in around there. I used to, dude, there was one year where I got flown into Boise and I almost felt guilty showing up because it only took me like three hours, even with the stopover in Seattle. All these guys are getting off the bus. They're tired. It's the worst road trip in the league. And then I'm fresh and, you know, spry as a flower and ready to rock and felt guilty. You earn your stripes on the bus with the players. Absolutely. Here's two quickies. The only time I got to fly in that league. Well, no, we flew in the playoffs. The owner would fly us in Southwest in the playoffs. When my son was born, I, I just finished a 10-hour bus ride from Boise to Southern Oregon to play the Timberjacks, which was the A's back then. Yeah. And just laying down to take the nap after not sleeping on the bus much in 10 hours and 15 minutes, the phone rings and my water breaks. And here I am getting on an airplane. A team flies me back home for my kid to be born, which was pretty cool. That is Secondly, pretty- the hockey side of it, when I was flying around these parts, Minor league, it was the WCHL Western Cocktail Holiday League, and we used to uh, <laughs> we used to uh, fly everywhere. It was amazing. That's why you got players like Darren Beach and stuff playing in that league. Take your golf clubs. By the way, fun fact: six degrees separation. The Southern Oregon Timberjacks became the Vancouver Canadians. There you go. Fred Herman bought that team for twenty five thousand dollars in Southern Oregon, down in Medford. Sold oh it for God. seven million to Jake Kerr and Jeff. Moore. Oh. Jeez, Fred tell Herman. The, tell that to the guru. Fred Herman. I remember that guy. He was a yeah. grumpy old guy in the in Medford. <laughs> Boy, he turned out happy. Oh, yeah. Great guy. Him and his wife, Dixie. I was their PR guy in 2001. Borrowed his car one night. Accidentally drove. They just put yellow stripes on the road. And all of a sudden, Rich Harden, who I was driving in the car with, gets out of the car because I dropped him off. He goes, holy shit, look at this. I didn't know what was going on. I get out of the car and the yellow spray paint had gotten in the wheel wells and sprayed all up the side of the car. 
So oh. it looked like flames coming out of the, out of the thing. <laughs> I had to take that back to Fred Herman. The whole night I stayed up thinking I'm going to get fired. I'm going to lose oh, my, my job. And sure enough, Fred, cool as a cucumber. He's like, ah, it's okay. Nobody liked that car. Anymore. Yeah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, Rob. I'm going to sell this team for $7 million. Don't even sweat it. You always run into the Rovers on the in that league? Best league for that, uh, yes. Talk to Tommy Lasord all the time. Talk to uh, who? who is the former? Who is Stewart, a pitcher for the? Dave Stewart. Dave, Dave Stewart, yeah. God, what a nice guy he was. We could do a whole show on baseball one day. We could do a whole baseball and travel around the Northwest. Oh, my God, dude. <laughs> we could, but I can tell you this. All the road broadcasters will say that Vancouver is their favorite spot. I used to have, yeah, I had a great time. Wasn't in the league very long when I was in the league, but uh, Seattle was, I was in Seattle a ton. Shout out to the guru. Shout out to you for being on all these round tables. I didn't know you were so versed in all this stuff. I'm not versed. I'm the dumb guy who asks the questions and I'm, I'm the <laughs> MC. Like I just, uh, I'm the MC. I'm the gregarious host. So you set Chris up to look good then. I tee him up. Yeah, me too. I do some basic research and then leave it to the experts. I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't mid cap, small cap. I invest if they tell me to. Make your money that way. I guess. Whatever works. Robert of Vancouver Hockey Now, thank you for this conversation today. Let's do it again soon. You got her. You're listening to Sports Bar Radio with Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity Guru. Equity Guru, investment information for millennials and madmen.